humans. Welcome to our podcast, Deconstruct. My name is Lauren. And I'm Adam. On this podcast, we want to help start or continue conversations about the beautiful and messy parts of life. Although we both had a conservative upbringing, we've since grown out of a lot of our traditional ways of thinking. We're learning to deconstruct the religious lenses we once saw the world through, breaking down topics like purity culture, racism, and the patriarchy, while demystifying things like feminism, equality, and love. Stepping away from our evangelical church background, all the while leaning into God and moving forward in our faith. We'd love to hear your story. You can find us on Instagram at deconstruct.pod. Now, on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have Andrew Kerbs, aka Deconstruct Everything. And he grew up as a Seventh-day Adventist in the Bible Belt. He is currently a licensed therapist and a writer, and he's most passionate about helping people deconstruct harmful religion and learn to live a life that is meaningful to them. So, Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Excited (laughs) to be here. (laughs) We're excited to have you, especially because we get tagged in all the same things. (laughs) It's about time that we did a collab. Seriously, I know I've like I've known about you guys for quite a like I don't know since I first got on Instagram I, I guess or at least in the deconstructing space on Instagram. Right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> so we're you're kind of like our, our our brother company. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're excited. We're excited to have you. Well, thank you. So okay, first off, I just wanted to kind of get the first um, the thing first thing out there. A lot of people don't really know anything or don't know a lot about what a Seventh-day Adventist is. So I know that's kind of a loaded question um, to ask you, (laughs) what is a Seventh-day Adventist? But how does it differ uh, than like a conventional evangelical church or even like a non-denom church? Yeah. So, yeah, I know it's I I don't mind answering the question (laughs) because you're right. Most people don't know what it is. And of course, the other Adventists out there who are still Adventists they're going to get mad at what I say probably. But um, <laughs> I mean, so yeah, the Seventh-day Adventist church is, it's a Protestant Christian church. Um, it came out of the second great awakening. I'm a history nerd, by the way. That was my, perfect. Um, I, I have a degree in that. Like I, I just love it. So I kind of give people more backstory than they probably asked for, but no, that's so, what we're here for. <laughs> Educate us. We want to know. So Yeah. So the Adventist church, it came out of the second great awakening, which was like mid 19th century, which is also the movement that saw some other denominations arise, such as Latter-day Saints, Jehovah's Witnesses, a few others. Um, so the seventh, seventh day Adventists specifically, um, Back in like 1844, there was a Methodist minister named William Miller who had studied Daniel, Daniel and Revelation, Daniel specifically, and had basically determined that on October 22nd of that year, the world was going to end, meaning Jesus was going to come back. Mm. Oh, wow. And it became quite a movement. And of course, he didn't come back. And so now October 22nd, uh, 1844 is known as the Great Disappointment. So if you Google that, like the, the Great Disappointment, William Miller, like boom, it'll all pop wow. up. Wow. See a bunch of Wikipedia stuff about it and probably Adventist websites about it. So 
yeah. Um, so, but then what ended up happening, what then spawned the Seventh Day Adventist Church was um, they continued studying, you know, in the wake of this disappointment. Um, they were pretty convicted that they were right on the date. In other words, they went back through all the prophetic, you know, all the calculations they had made based on just everything that they had studied. And they were, you know, they were like, we're pretty sure this is still the right date. Obviously, Jesus didn't come back. So the event was wrong. Something must, but they were still convinced something happened on that day. Um, to get to the point, they believe that basically um, Jesus, as the, our high priest, entered the most holy place on that day. So uh. since 1844, they believe that we're living in like the antitypical day of atonement is what they would call it. And so basically at any moment, Christ could return as he's, you know, you know, he's interceding on our behalf in the holy of holies in the heavenly sanctuary as was modeled on in the earthly sanctuary, like, you know, the old, um, like in the old Testament and all of that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the gist of it. And of course, some of the more obvious things, um, Seventh-day Adventists, um, they worship on Saturday rather than Sunday, like hence the Seventh-day term. Um, Yeah, I mean, we definitely get called, they got, we definitely were called a cult a lot. So that was something that I heard a lot growing up, especially in the Bible Belt. So even even though I grew up Christian, um, growing up in the Bible Belt where everybody's like, most everyone's Baptist or something close to it. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, you know, even though I was in the Bible belt, I was still an outsider in a sense, yeah, you know, right. because I, I belonged to that church that was, well, they're a cult. Mm. Um, and to give some more context to my childhood too, um, I, was it 1993 or 94? I don't remember, but the whole Waco, Texas, David Koresh, French Davidians, mm. right. he, he went off and made a cult, obviously, but he originally was a Seventh-day Adventist. And there was a lot of media sources and other evangelical churches that very directly connected him with the Adventist church. And oh, wow. so that, that was a lot of like negative PR in the early mid nineties. And yeah. that kind of just added to the, the image that, Oh, see their cults. Like this is, you know, this is what Adventism leads to stay away from them. So, so how do you feel about that language? Um, like the language of, of them being a cult. Yeah. I mean, at this point I'm to the, I'm to the place. I, I wouldn't disagree, but I would also say, yeah. And so is all of evangelicalism. Right. What, what right. about it? <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, it's more like, it's like, I don't disagree, but it's just funny that it's Southern Baptists and evangelicals and all these other folks that are saying it. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not wrong, but you're missing all of your your own issues too, you know. Right. So I'm I'm curious how how that growing up with that language and that kind of animosity toward your faith, how that shaped how you approached your your faith and your spirituality when you were younger. Because I'm sure, I mean, everything kind of plays up into uh, the 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 person that you are now. But I'm sure it had sure. some sort of effect on you, either claiming it even harder and researching or or trying to separate yourself from the identity of the religion. I'm just curious, did you, did you have any adverse experience with that? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think probably the way it informed my, my faith growing up, I was definitely feeling pretty defensive 
Um, but not in the sense of like that I wanted to be an apologist. I, I really just hoped that my non Adventist Christian friends wouldn't ask which church I went to. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, I'm a Christian. That's all you need to know. Just let's not get into it right. kind of thing. <laughs> um, that sort of a thing. Um, yeah. So, so in my younger years, that was more, I think, how it played out. I, I definitely knew early on that I was different than your other mainstream Christians or evangelical Christians. Um, then as I got older, so like probably like my early college years, I definitely kind of started really studying into it a lot more deeply. And be, and I did become more of more of an apologist. Um, it is unfortunate because I feel like because of how others view Adventism, but and, and Adventism isn't completely innocent. The way they then view the rest of Protestant Christianity and well, and Catholicism too, um, is it's in a pretty negative light. I mean, they'll they'll say it all sweetly and politically correct, but the reality is, the re, I mean, the reality is Seventh Day Adventism. We we they identify the Roman Catholic Church as being like some of these apocalyptic symbols in the book of revelation as be, you know, like right. some, some of all of that. And then those Protestant churches who still adhere to keeping Sunday, they, which <laughs> according to Adventism, the Sunday keeping is kind of like the mark of Rome's authority. So yeah, if you're, if you're a Protestant church, still keeping it, an Adventist would basically say, well, you're not really Protestant. So mm-hmm. whatever, you're, you're daughter, <laughs> daughters of, daughters of Babylon. So. <laughs> so have you through your own, um, deconstruction now, you didn't use that word yet today in this episode, but it's in your Instagram handle deconstruct everything. So I'm assuming you had a <laughs> deconstruction of your own, um, what do you have a sort of faith or label or an, an identity that you kind of cling to or, um, where do you kind of land now? Um, so yeah, definitely. It's funny. The thing with deconstruction, it's like, I've essentially been on that journey and kind of doing that for the last seven to 10 years, but I didn't know that was even a term for it until a year ago. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, it's language, as useful as it is, it's, it's just a construct. It's only, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just to describe this phenomenon, this journey that we're going on. Um, and maybe one day it won't be that useful anymore of a term. I don't, I don't know, but, um, yeah, so definitely where I land now, it's funny cause I, I get that question a lot and really my question, I mean, I, I can give you specifics of what I do and don't believe of course, but I definitely hold a lot of those beliefs with a lot more lightness than I once did when I was mm-hmm. much more fundamentalist Christian. Yeah. Um, so like, for example, like, yeah, I, am I like, someone will ask me like, well, are you still a Christian at all? And like, well, strictly <laughs> speaking, not really. I mean, right. are there still things I admire about like, well, things that Christ said, whether or not he really ever said them is beside the point, but mm-hmm. yeah, sure. Sure. There's, you know, there's <laughs> stuff that I find, I find useful, but like, as far as the label of saying, am I a Christian? Well, no, I don't consider myself that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's funny. I think a lot of people kind of walk away feeling disappointed when I give them such wishy-washy answers as to where I land now, because no, that's, uh, I, I'm I mean, not I understand. really anywhere. You don't, you don't really land. Like it's a journey is, is what I always try to tell people is like, I feel like I've just kind of launched myself out into space and I may hit a planet. I'm not entirely sure, but that's not exactly the point. Well, I also, I feel like asking the question to know that, like, I feel like it's, it's okay. It's appropriate to respond to someone in 
the time that they're asking it. So for me, I've answered this question, I'm sure now like a thousand different ways (laughs) because I've feel like I've hit a thousand different planets. (laughs) Um, And I think that's, that's okay too. I feel like one of my, one of the things that I, I, I guess could be part of my identity um, is, is the fact that I am ex evangelical, right? Like that's kind of part of my identity because it's like where I've come from, but it's like the lens you see everything through. Yeah. Well, and it's something I no longer like associate with or whatever. So for me, like ex-evangelical actually is kind of something that like works for me because it doesn't say where I am now. It's just saying where I'm not. Um, Right. And so I don't know if that kind of language has been helpful for you. Like you saying, have you ever used the, the, that language of like former uh, seventh day Adventist, or is it still something like you, you still kind of claim it? Yeah, no, I, I, I that's fair. I, I do definitely use that language sometimes. A former um, SDA, former Seventh Day Adventist, because yes, I, I, I do not still consider myself to be one. Um, and also former, former Christian. Um, I, I definitely used the evangelical term, but sometimes I feel like <laughs> I go back and forth on whether I should personally use it. <laughs> you can strict, use it. Strictly, it's okay. strictly speaking, Adventists aren't evangelical, right? But there's a lot of overlap with Christian fundamentalism anyway. I mean, there's a lot of overlap. You're you know, an ex fundy kind of. It's yeah, just like, yeah, for sure. it's, <laughs> I know, I get it. I feel like, I feel like anyone who wants to use that term can use the term. <laughs> it is definitely non exclusive. So, um, but yeah, I actually, as somebody who is a former uh, SDA, um, actually wrote in a question for you. And I thought um, I would oh, ask nice. that to you. So she said, uh, do you have any advice for a former SDA who is stuck working at an SDA, um, Seventh-day Adventist, job for now? Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Mm, that, that is a tough one. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think the best advice I can give to, to someone in that situation is to just really continue to take care of yourself to have boundaries when it comes to like, I mean, cause I don't know all of the context of if we're talking a church, a university, right. there's that's the, that's the interesting thing in, within Adventism. I mean, we, we actually have a pretty big education system. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. So yeah. they're like the world over, I mean, universities, grade schools. Um, but then we also have hospital systems too, honestly. And anyway, there's, there's lots of ways that you can be employed by the seventh day Adventist church and, yeah, I've, I, I've had some friends in the past who have had similar experiences um, working for the church. They decided at some point they are no longer believing, you know, uh, to some degree or another, what the church is proclaiming, and yet they're that's their livelihood. Um, so I'm, yeah, you know, there isn't an easy answer to that. I um, I will say for those who, because I know some people have been concerned, like like are they being unethical by staying in the job and. You know, I, I really don't think so. 
I don't think, I think yeah. that you ha- you have to do what you have to do. And I think that being honest and authentic and questioning things and just pursuing that to wherever it goes, I, I don't see that as being a negative thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's a tough place to be. <laughs> yeah. In. That's I, a challenging I, question. This person sure. absolutely has like my empathy, but cause yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough place to be. Yeah. Um, Cause it's one of those things where if they were to be completely explicitly honest with the employer about where they stood, they very well likely would be terminated from the job. Right. Um, I mean, that, and that's just the reality of it. Um, yeah. I, and I've that's where the whole change is, is challenging. It's just like, there's a whole dynamic shift that sometimes happens immediately and a lot more often, like, especially now that there's so much publicity around uh, ex-evangelical Christianity, progressive Christianity, deconstructing your faith, all of these kind of words that people have given movements to almost. It, it's yeah. it, there. I feel like it, it moves a lot faster. And so you can end up finding yourself in spaces like that a lot more frequently, I'm sure. But you had said you, you, you've been sort of deconstructing without the language for the last seven to 10 years. And yeah. but then you had also mentioned how you were leaning more into becoming more of an apologist. Uh, I know for a lot of people like trying to trying to disprove something, like trying to trying to fight for your cause can a lot of the time can end up pushing you to discover a lot more about the uh the antithesis of your cause than than really actually helping you <laughs> that's how I became, bolster your point. That's so, how I became vegan. Yeah, you're like you're like vegans are dumb. They, I hated them. They're unhealthy and they can't survive. And, and then now here we are. I researched my way into veganism, yes. And so I'm curious, was it was it like that for you? Or did you know what you were doing? I mean, without the language, did you know that you were deconstructing? Pushing away right. from your religion. Um so for a long time I did not. Um, it was a very, it was a very interesting journey, and I think my push to become more of an apologist, in a lot of ways, maybe was what you could call an extinction burst of like that fervor mm-hmm. that I had for the faith. Um, it's like I think I had had a lot of questions building, a lot of doubts, a mm-hmm. lot of you know things that had been building for a long time. Um, and so I remember, and I was even planning to go to seminary at one point. I was going to be a minister, you know, wow. like I had led tons of Bible studies, like I could teach out of like the books of like Daniel and Revelation better than most pastors would be able to, at least non-Adventist pastors, because of course, Seventh-day Adventism, traditionally anyway, is very much steeped in that apocalyptic language and understanding, Mm. you know? So yeah, like I was all about it. Like I was ready to like make that my whole life. And um, yeah, I had applied, I had pretty much been accepted. It was still like one interview I had to go through, but I mean, there was no issue. I, there was, I didn't foresee any issues yeah. with getting in. Um, it was just a matter of money really. And so I'd, I'd kind of put the brakes on that a little bit. Um, there were, um, cause yeah, there were, there were just a lot of things going on that year. This was 2014. Mm-hmm. And this was also a year, like I had started out at the beginning of the year to read the Bible through um, mm-hmm. twice. In addition to a whole bunch of other Adventist, um, like Bible commentary and some other stuff. I don't even remember what all it was. It was a hefty reading plan. I'll just say that. Yeah. <laughs> I believe I mean, it. Oh man. It was looking back. It's just like, Oh my gosh, Andrew. But um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I made it till about mid April and, and I, I, and mind you, like I've read 
I, I, up until this point, I, I had read through the Bible probably half a dozen times. Like this wasn't a new thing. It's just that I was, I could feel myself slipping. Like I could feel like I, mm-hmm. at that point I thought it was backsliding. I thought I was just mm-hmm. losing faith. I, I wasn't sure what was going on. Like I, I could sense there was like this p- possible existential crisis mm-hmm. bubbling beneath the surface, yeah. but it had it hadn't surfaced yet. And so it was almost like in desperation. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I guess I need to try harder. And so, you know, I was doing all of this reading, praying, you know, I, um, I think I wrapped up my last Bible study in like March of that year. Uh, I think we had all decided it was like spring break, like, Hey, let's just take a break. Um, then at the end of that, we we're like, actually let's take a break until summer, maybe even come back after summer. Cause we had been really going hard at some of these Bible studies. Yeah. And I had been, th- I had been facilitating like 95% of them. Like I had some friends who were going to help, but they ended up flaking out and I was doing all of it. So <laughs> I was, I was burned out and stretched then. And yeah. And then I remember it was mid April one morning. I kind of just stopped reading and um, kind of did my day, went through my day just doing whatever I was doing that day. I can't even remember. Um, and I, I went back a couple times through the weeks trying to jump back into the reading, but like, it was, it was so interesting. It was like the spark or whatever. It just, it wasn't there. Wow. It was, it was just gone. And it's like, and then like that whole, it, it's, it was, I don't know. It was weird. It was, it was a shocking, it was kind of like surreal would be a good word for it. Um, right. And that was also the year then I, then opted not to go to seminary i just kind of said financial reasons blah 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 just made up some generic excuses and said hey i'll catch up with you guys in december maybe for like the spring semester or something um and i ended up sort of impulsively jumping into a counseling program local to where i lived it it was in Asheville, north carolina um yeah so jumped into that instead so yeah long story short i got my master's in counseling instead of an mdiv um and yeah that's kind of wow that that was the big trajectory shift now even up until graduating it with my master's in 2017 i still didn't know i i i still would felt like i was just drifting aimlessly slipping away from the faith like i you know i had pretty much been gone for three and a half years but i still didn't really have language to put to that. I wasn't, it wasn't particularly intentional, but at the same time, I also knew that I couldn't morally, ethically, intellectually go back to the church that I left. Mm. Um, and furthermore too, I, so I, in my undergrad, in my undergraduate work, I was a history major and I, and I specialized in like, like religious history and ancient texts. I mean, not to the level that like, a PhD candidate would by no means, but still enough, enough to be like, you know, people, it wasn't, it wasn't Adventism so much that I had deconstructed. It was literally the basis of Christianity as a whole. So right. it was kind of like, it's, every, it's, it's everything. Like people ask me, how did you deconstruct Adventism? I'm like, honestly, I didn't, I kind of just pulled the whole foundation out from underneath the whole, the whole building. And here I am. Right. And you, well, you mentioned in your questionnaire, in our questionnaire thing that, um, although that, although you're cisgender and um, hetero male, your orientation is not particularly relevant to your faith story. Uh, you said that the church's treatment of LGBTQ plus folks was a big reason why you left. Is um, So tell tell us like about that part or that season that you realized that or that your eyes were open to that. Um, yeah. So that had been a thing, an issue. I just, I had just seen it 
through the years, um, tons of like even just microaggressions, but or not even microaggressions, just tons of like just um, church members either directly or just in passing, like just shitting on the LGBTQ community or, or folks who had left the church because they had come out, they had come out as queer or something. Um, Mm. or I knew, I knew somebody, um, that they had their, so their marriage had ended in divorce, their hetero marriage. Um, a few, like a year or so later, um, they were engaged, but this time it was a same sex marriage and just hearing the whispers in the church and just the homophobic bullshit. It was just like, right. Um, and, and I, I want to be careful how much I say, cause I'm also not wanting to inadvertently out any people. There's also just some folks I know mm-hmm. that I'm very close with that have sure. basically confided in me. Like, you know, that they are, you know, what something that is not what the church would approve of as far as orientations go, but are still mm-hmm. trying to navigate that world. And, um, not they're not really sure how to you know because it's like their faith they still care very much about their faith but the reality is if they were open and authentic about their orientation the institution that they're a part of would reject them very much so and they're and these are folks that have been in positions like like leaders different leadership type roles and you know things that there would be consequences wow if they were honest yeah i mean that's that's i mean similar to our story in a way, I mean, not so, not so literal, but just the, the thought of, of allyship being something that was reserved only for those in, in our lives at the time was reserved only for those that like we had fierce protectiveness over. So like, had it, had we ended up having a a kid that, that was LGBTQ of some sort, um, or a family member or something, there was always that idea in our head where we were like, well, we'd be a flag waving, um ally and we would you know fight everybody that had anything else to say and just just the the realization of the hypocrisy of that was Mm -hmm. a lot of what pushed us into uh unraveling a lot of the the trauma and and the the problematic nature of of the community of the church not necessarily the theology because the theology I mean, you'd see a lot of different variations of things, but it was specifically just like the, the pro- that was problematic for us. And so that moved us into a place of, of really breaking things down. And I think it can be, yeah. it can be a very eye-opening thing to see a community that, that claims unconditional love and acceptance. And, and I mean, especially in my case, a um, once saved, always saved mentality, but then you, also see the exact opposite in conflict with that when when someone who has been loved and who has been accepted into the church comes out as as anything other than cisgender heterosexual then you know you see the rejection happen whether it's socially right. or 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 they come at them with the bible or verses that that they don't even fully understand and then that, and then you just see all of these things that there's so many flaws and and, and contradictions amongst even just people in the church and that that's challenging. Yeah, and then and then they start playing the the whole oh well they were they were never a real Christian card right right well I mean and, and that's, that's like the that. thing right people people always want an opportunity to be able to uh, quantify or qualify your uh, your acceptance into into their faith 
even though they say that that the love is unconditional, they need the the opportunity to judge your <laughs> your Christianity or your faith by the fruits that you bear, and, and they can tell, you know, if you are or if you aren't. Right. <laughs> So when you say, you know, in your, you've said it in your bio and um, I can feel it like it, just in your energy that you're passionate about helping people, you know, deconstruct and helping people kind of live out their best life. And, uh, but you specifically say that you help people deconstruct harmful religion. Um, so that wording, of course, made me curious. Do you believe that there can be non-harmful religion? And if so, how, how do we get that? <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, so, I mean, from a, the institutional perspective, I have, I, I, I mean, I suppose there's a spectrum of harm and all institutions of religion are not created equal in that regard. But I, I will say this, any, anywhere where there's hierarchy, harm is sure to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it may be at varying degrees, sure. But, you know, so I, I mean, it's not just, I don't, I wouldn't say that, you know, all religion is horrible and should not but i i will say though when it comes to like the institution of religion when it becomes institutionalized meaning like you know there's a formal group with gatekeepers and doctrine and hierarchy where there are you know power dynamics you know i i really can't see any examples of that where it does not result in harm for marginalized groups yeah yeah um it's a question that i don't i don't it's not that i fully expect an answer because it's something I think about too um, because some people we've had conversations where um, we've gotten the response from a couple different people that they think religion is needed because some people don't have that moral compass or check-in to be like a good person or not I don't think I really believe that I don't think that that's like where I stand but we have gotten that interpretation of like well religion is mostly bad, <laughs> but it can, or it could be mostly harmful. Like you said, just because of the, the right. hierarchy situation, but also is it, are, is it helpful for some people? Does it actually help people have like any sort of moral compass that they couldn't have without it? I don't know. I don't know. It pos- yeah. It's a possibility. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely have strong opinions on that one. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah it's like it's it's because it's one of those things where people will say they're like well religion makes them a better person and it's like well well i guess i guess my thing is like I, I okay so yes religion in some sense does maybe do good things but these are things that are fully capable of happening outside of the construct of religion yeah, i agree like, so it's like okay great religion did something that maybe it wasn't as harmful as usual. I mean, do you, what do you want a cookie? I mean, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. it's like, but it wasn't because it was religion that what you did was helpful. You could have just as easily done that thing and pushed and that, you know, ministry as they might call it, or what, what, you know, as the church would call it. And you didn't need the construct of religion to make that happen. And, I, and I think, I, you know, I, I guess I have seen too many examples of institutionalized religion make people less empathetic, less compassionate, less moral. So, I, yeah, I totally don't buy the, the, the argument that, oh, well, it makes, it makes people better. I'm like, I 
don't see. I, I, I see a lot of evidence to the contrary, but all right. Me too. <laughs> you're, you're, you're like, all you're doing right now is telling me that you're a bad person and the only reason you do good things is because somebody will give you a reward at the end of things. Yeah. Right. Which, yeah, doesn't usually mean you're a great person. So, exactly. And so, I mean, from like like a theory of like of moral development, like, um, I mean, there, there's lots of them out there, but like, like Kohlberg's theory of moral development, for example, I studied a lot of that in counseling and psychology. Yeah. So yeah, if you're, if you're only doing it because you're either wanting to get a reward out of it, or you're afraid of getting punished if you don't like, okay, so you're, you're like, you're like a four to se- a four to seven year old is what that's telling me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like developmentally, the way that the evangelical <laughs> structure is playing out is basically yeah, I mean that's 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 basically where people are at. You're not doing good or doing the right thing because it's the right thing, and because you have the you know, and because you want to build community or do you know build yeah. these connections. It's you're doing it because you want a reward or you're scared of punishment. Yeah, and it's usually one of the it's and it is usually one of the yeah, other. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen it all the time in churches too. But I feel like there's an intentionality to that. I mean. Obviously, there's a control mechanism that can happen um, just from using that exact situation, the fear or the reward system. Um, mm-hmm. But it also, you see it all the time in churches where churches frown upon uh, uh, therapy. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. but, the, but now you're doing therapy for people who have been hurt in churches. I'm just curious how, how that came together for you, if that was immediate and intentional or... If it's something that yeah. you wanted to do be out of that space. Hey everyone, want to take a quick moment to say thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode and rate and review the podcast as it helps others find this online community. Thanks so much. Now back to the episode. So initially it was to get out of that space. It was definitely like, I want to help people and that, you know, there's a whole world out here who needs help and screw the church. Um, now it's yeah. kind of like that, I, that's still my underlying value and motive, but now it's also like, okay, I used to be one of these people who thought they were backsliding. And yet really in a lot of ways, it's like they were having a spiritual awakening. They just, but they were being shamed and demonized for it by the church because the church was losing another member. The church was, you know, it, yeah, the church is always going to condemn you going to a source other than itself to find the answers because the implication there is that they don't have the answers for whatever your problem is in that moment. And yeah, I mean, there, there's there's a lot of um, it's it, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of implications riding on that. If the church were to be like, oh yeah, you can go to outside sources for answers to life's questions. Um, <laughs> You know, in some churches and some of the more progressive churches are getting better, like they're more open to that. But but even then, even then, it's like I I still see red flags because even then you'll have you'll have like the, you know, the hip youth pastor who's like, oh, yeah, deconstruction is great. Just make sure you reconstruct. Make sure you like, oh, my God, dude, like (laughs) make sure you don't make like let me just like. You know, translation, don't, don't actually the church, right? Like ask, ask all the questions, but make sure you get, come back with the right answers as long, you know, it's like, yeah, it's exasperating after a while, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure that is. And like for you, like your, your main thing is trying to help people live that meaningful life and help, help them discover what that is for them personally and individually so how do we determine what makes 
a life meaningful and what doesn't? How do you help people decide what is what brings meaning and what doesn't? Yeah, well, that's the cool thing. So, I mean, simply put, um, you decide what's meaningful for your life. That literally, that's beginning and end of it. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, coming out of a high demand, high control religion or or high control, high demand family background, oftentimes the two overlap um, significantly. Um, you don't really know what that is because if you come from um, like a codependent background or an enmeshed background is another term we use. Um, oftentimes, yeah, oftentimes you're putting your emotional needs, even your emotional safety on the back burner for the sake of the happiness or the, for the sake of the approval of those around you, mm-hmm. um, whether that be a parent or a pastor or what, or a spouse, partner, what, whatever. Um, and so I'll, I think if definitely for folks who have been living their entire lives living that way, it's, it's hard to even figure out what in the world do I care about? What, and, and, and if they, and if they do know the defense mechanisms are so quick to kick in and shut that down because they have, you know, we're conditioned to the night, you know, shame, shame is such a conditioning tool that's used in the church. And, you know, we'll, we'll learn to shut that down and shame shuts down conversations and ex- self exploration quicker than anything. Uh-huh. Um, it's it, the, the, so the therapy that I use, it is actually a very specific model. It's called acceptance and commitment therapy. Mm. Um, and so it works like it works really, really well when it comes to leaving fundamentalism behind, whether that's Christian fundamentalism or just black and white rigid thinking in general, really, because it is very much oriented around value driven value, value driven action and creating a life that's meaningful to you, Mm. as opposed to what a lot of other therapies do is just focus on the problem and reduce symptoms. Um, Yeah, which it's in a lot of ways, acceptance and commitment therapy is kind of like clinical Buddhism. (laughs) It's, 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 it's like literally to be human and to be alive is to suffer. Like that's just Mm -hmm. a given. So rather than focusing on let's make suffering go away, just realize that's always going to be there. So stop trying to stop trying to control what you can't control and put your energy and focus on making life meaningful, doing Mm. what you want, becoming who you want to be. Yeah. Rather than just living every living every moment, trying to avoid the discomfort. Yeah. I love that so much. That's definitely my take on life. Um, I I've, I've been posting about it lately. I've, I've honestly been posting about that. That's been like my main through line through throughout my whole life, but especially my deconstruction has been um, chasing what lights you up. That's kind of the language that I use. I think I originally heard that probably from Morgan Day Cecil. I don't know if you follow her or know who she is, but um, she kind of uses the the verbiage of chase what chase what lights you up. And um, yeah, and I I like that. And I don't, yeah, and I don't and I don't love the idea of just yeah, just talking about like well, life is gonna be life is gonna be shit. So might as well just stay in that. That's just not that's. Yeah, it's going to happen sometimes. So let's not talk about it anymore. Let's not live into that anymore. Um, and we like to hear personal, uh, the, your personal ways of finding meaning. So for you if, you, if you could give an example of like, how do you find meaning in your life and, and what fills you? Um, yeah, so for me personally, like I've always, I've always liked just 
art and creating, um, especially writing and that like, so writing and creating content. And I don't, when I say creating content, that sounds like such a social media influencer thing. That's not <laughs> even what I, that's not even what I mean, but like, I mean that too. I, I do. I actually enjoy it, you know? Yeah. So um, that's why when, when someone like <laughs> someone pops up in the community and is like, kind of like, shitting on the, the people who post once or twice a day you're like oh you're just doing it I'm like i actually enjoy this actually like, doing I have, it from like, me. I, have, I have three times as many posts saved as photos on my phone that i never actually share with you guys like you have no idea how much i create just because i like it you know so yeah and and that's not and not even that like i enjoy writing like not only writing um like essays and whatnot about deconstruction but like just creative writing i just I don't know. I just, I find rejuvenation in creating stuff, but then also building community and helping others too, you know, yeah. um, that, I mean, I'm a therapist, so I suppose it's, <laughs> so it's, hopefully I guess that it's good. You. <laughs> it's good. To, it's good to have those values. Well, yeah, it's funny. Cause it's like as a therapist, but then also as a former passionate Christian, mm. you know, where your call is to go out and make everybody disciples of Jesus Christ and save the world. It's so easy to take that same energy as a therapist, even if you've become an atheist, an atheistic, you know, right. Therapist. (laughs) It's so easy to take, it's so easy to take the same energy and still be trying to save the world. It's just, instead of bringing everybody to Jesus, you're trying to save them from the church, but you still burn out on the same thing. Absolutely. And, And so it's like, it's good to have the value of wanting to help people. But at the same time, it's like, Self-compassion, self-compassion, I still think, is like such an underrated thing that needs to be talked about more. It's not the same as being selfish or narcissistic. There is a difference. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just so, so, so important to take the time to learn what rejuvenates you, what sparks joy for you. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like the Marie, Marie Kondo. Kondo. <laughs> like if it yeah. doesn't spark joy, get it the fuck out of your <laughs> life. So, and that include and that goes for people too. I yeah, mean it. <laughs> it does. It really, really does. I, I love that. Finding life's pleasures too. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. all that same language. Chase is what lights you up, or you know, what sparks joy, or finding life's pleasures, or don't just, you know, sit thinking about all the shit you're gonna go through. <laughs> Whatever language that you want, it's the same sort of con or same sort of message and um, yeah, so right, I'm, right. I'm definitely here for all that. And I know you're starting a contract position with the Center for Trauma Resolution and Recovery. Can I can I announce that? Can I say that? Or yeah, yeah, okay. I've, I've actually I've I've actually already started. Um, you did amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's going great. Congrats, um, by the way. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, we have quite a few practitioners over there, and and for what it's worth, for anyone listening, um. So yeah, it's technically, technically what we're offering, it, it is coaching. So you can, so there's less restrictions as far as having to work with a practitioner that is within your state, for mm. example. Um, but with that being said, everybody that is working for the center is a licensed professional clinician in their respective state. Um, oh, that, wow. that is, that is, that is one, um, requirement yeah. that, um, that is out there. So, cause I, sometimes Unfortunately, and this isn't to knock coaches, the the world of coaching does not have the same regulation as counseling or social work or, you know, so it's kind of, it's kind of like anybody can call themselves a life coach and have either a lot of credentials or none whatsoever. And so it's like, you know, it it, it just, it's kind of like, you're not, unless you're really good at researching stuff yourself, it's it's hard to know what you're getting into, but 
Yeah, at the Center for Trauma Resolution and Recovery, everybody is a licensed clinician in their respective state. So very highly qualified and trained individuals okay. over there. And yeah, are there everybody any here is... in Nashville, Tennessee? <laughs> uh, well, I, um, yeah, the, the, the owner. Yeah, no, <laughs> we we we've spoken <laughs> to her. <laughs> yeah, I know Laura, she's amazing. Uh, we actually, I think she was the first episode that we had this season. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so wow. yeah. She, she uh she's awesome absolutely love her and i think the whole institute and i guess that's what you call it institute company um is incredible so for anyone who's listening um so that instagram if you if you want to find everybody and find all that information it's uh it, it, trauma resolution and recovery is that right or no uh, yes for the instagram handle i believe that's right trauma resolution and recovery yeah yeah yes Okay, cool. So I just want to shout that out for everybody to kind of check that out. Um, and of course, I'll put all your links down below. But because um, I know I, you've been mentioning on your stories and everything, people have been wanting to work with you specifically around their religious trauma. So now they can, they can do that. Um, and so if anyone is listening and you have been following Andrew Curbs slash deconstruct everything on Instagram, um, you can work with him now. And um, there's plenty of people um, that I'm sure you could find as well with the trauma resolution and recovery. Um, So do check that out. But um, Andrew, I just wanted to say thank you so much for for talking with us today and making yourself available. And, um, And I guess my last question was, what was the what was the tipping point for you when it came to knowing that you wanted to work specifically with people who had religious trauma? Was it your own religious trauma or was it somebody's story or was it just a collection of of stories and situations that have happened? Um, or was there a tipping point for you? Yeah, so that specifically it's that's it, a funny it's funny that you should ask that. So yeah, I, it was actually when I really got into the Instagram deconstruction community. So mm. a year a year ago or so on my personal Instagram, I trying to remember a friend of mine shared was sharing some stuff. And I think it I don't remember, but like Dirty Rotten Church Kids and John Steingard were yep. two of the first names <laughs> that I, I stumbled across. Yeah. And I think I saw the headline uh, about um I think the headline said something like Christian rocker announces he no longer believes in God. And yeah. I, w- I wasn't sure who it was, you know, but I also thought back in the day, Christian rock was all I listened to. So I'm like, I know I know this guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. So I, so I clicked the link, John Steingard, like, I do know this guy. So, <laughs> you know, so I was following him super closely. They had, that's where I first learned the, the term deconstruction. Um, I started following all the related hashtags on Instagram. Um, I honestly had no idea how large of a community it was, I think yeah. is what it, the thing was. I was over here just feeling like I'm just over here struggling with my own stuff. Um, most people, you know, that I know don't, unless they grew up in the church themselves and left, they, they don't get it. So, you know, I definitely was feeling pretty alone on all of that. And then realized there's this huge community of all these people who've been through such similar things like I have. Um, that's definitely when that I started shifting and I was like, okay, this is, there's now that I've, found my people and found this community like this is totally these are the folks I want to be working with like yeah you know like if, if I can like this is what I want to be doing yeah like full full time completely exclusively 
Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Well, we've, uh, I was actually just remembering, we've also interviewed Brian Peck as well. Um, oh, yeah. No, <laughs> so Brian, Brian is awesome. We're just going to, we're going to interview every we're single We're going to work our way around the whole thing. The trauma resolution <laughs> recovery. Because um, all of you are obviously brilliant and um, in what you do and you're passionate and that's very clear. And, um, and obviously Adam and I are drawn to the work that you do. Um, and so of course we just want to say thank you for your time and energy and, um, the amount of just um, emotional, mental, everything labor that you put into helping other people. Uh, cause we're just, we're just two humans over here on a podcast with microphones in our hands. We don't, we don't have, we don't have anything licensed. We don't have certifications. We just have experiences, which is why we love having people like you, um, on the podcast so you can, um, be smarter and talk better than us. <laughs> so we're just honored to have you. <laughs> oh, I, Hey, I, I really appreciate it. But yeah, I mean, experiences though that like that's the thing though you know like yeah. i don't i don't ever want people to be like looking at me like i'm some kind of an expert or i don't ever even though you know well, some people should. Since, if they're if they're working with well, you they should think well expert. i mean maybe, maybe maybe in that regard maybe in that regard. like there, there was someone one time who called me like somebody who wanted to interview me they referred to me as like a leader in the deconstruction space i'm like no i am not don't ever call me that again <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's the whole antithesis of what i'm trying to achieve here yeah I'm not right. trying to make I'm not trying to like make new gatekeepers and new experts, mm. and, you know, it's you're, like, de- no, you're evangel- evangelizing deconstruction and running away from But, but no, I do. No, I, but I do really greatly appreciate your kind words though. Of um, course. Well, yeah. I, I love this community. <laughs> we're thankful for what you yeah, do. And um, for everyone who's listening again, I, I will put everything in the uh, about section of this episode. So you can go ahead and check Andrew out and all of his work. Follow his Instagram, which is Deconstruct Everything. He's our brother company. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, look, Deconstruct.pod and Deconstruct Everything. We, we, we do the same, similar things. But um, you guys we do. Uh, check them out. And, uh, of course, thank you all for listening. We love you, and until next time, bye. Bye.